Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. It is season four of Film Trace. Um, we have picked a real doozy of a film. <laughs> season four. Um, I guess did you you technically nudged me to pick this? It was a suggestion because you're picking the new movies this season. We alternate, so the odd number of episodes. Uh, Dan will pick new movies for us to trace the life of, and even number episodes, I will pick some older films that are new to streaming. Uh, but uh, when Dan, you asked me to think about, you know, how long we wanted to have a hiatus between season three and four, I was like, well, you know, there is a certain movie coming out on Netflix, May twenty one. Uh, should we start with Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead? Yeah, uh, which came out in theaters May 14th last week, a Cinemark exclusive, which is a whole thing we'll have to talk about because it's like the, one of the first major releases that Netflix is doing in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it premiered on Netflix May 21st. I think before we dive into the film itself and what it's all about, we do have to talk about Zack Snyder and why we picked this and why yeah. I think why we're both fascinated by his like aura his uh his brand i don't know what you would call it what do what are we trying to pinpoint here what are we I talking about um his ability to uh, achieve a collective stupor when it comes to blockbuster movies <laughs> i don't know uh here's the thing i don't i don't hate the guy i mean he, i don't like much of what he's made but i appreciate the fact that he's able to connect with people, but I am most concerned and confused because it seems like everybody agreed up until a few months ago that like he made pop trash. Yeah. Uh, and like I it, sometimes the pop trash worked for me in even though I have kind of stayed away from him since, I do legitimately like 2004 uh debut of his the dawn of the dead remake i think it's uh a really fun and true to the spirit of the original even if it goes completely in a different direction execution wise and you get he 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 managed to get some really great performances out of his cast including uh lead actor sarah polly who i very much miss being in the movies um and yet uh he went on a trajectory that was just kind of filled with just overblown excess and was just kind of gross i think sucker punch is probably one of my least favorites um uh I, and but then dc happened and so like my main reason for coming at this was twofold number one he's coming back to where he began and especially like after taking a hiatus himself uh after the death of his child um and kind of coming back starting all over again with the same kind of story that he started his career with Coupled with the fact that the Snyder Cut caused such an uproar in the film community um, these past few months, um, it started out as a joke that like people were like, oh my gosh, these, these nerds are really going to make this happen? That's crazy. And then yeah. it does happen, and a lot of legitimate film critics and like respectable people on social media are like, actually, Zack Snyder's a genius. This movie's perfect. I still haven't seen it. I'm not trying to watch a four-hour version of a movie that I fell asleep during three years ago. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think? What 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 brought the world back together um, that Zack Snyder had? 
Well, it's funny, but like we think that the Snyder Cut was this big deal, and it was. Like it was an HBO marketing ploy to get people to subscribe to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Like that was a big part of why they pushed this thing. They knew it was a joke. They knew it was a meme. But like marketing people love memes because <laughs> they get re- re- regurgitated so easily. F- such a like through a group of people that just wants more of it. Um, and what's funny about that is there was a study about people who started. Um, justice league the snyder cut only and i think like 60 percent of them didn't finish uh so it's one of those things where uh it's almost as mm-hmm. if the meme or the the whatever it is there's not a ton of substance behind it but it does get companies to move and they did give them millions of dollars to do this and it also led i think you know the support behind snyder led to this army of the dead being made uh, it was a big reason why it got green lit that he just has this sort of aura to him. I mean, I would just remember like Batman versus Superman really brought out this weird sort of us versus them thing between DCEU people. And I don't even have you met anybody who's a DC fan? Like a I huge mean, I, DC fanboy. I've never met a I, single person I, in my life. I teach high schoolers. So, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what are they like? I mean, like, how are they different than a Marvel fanboy? Uh, you know, the thing is that they. The 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 kids that are coming to mind yeah. like both exactly but, yeah but there's something about like it goes back to when the Nolan Batman trilogy came out where there was a certain subset of people that were like okay superhero movies can be fun sure but what I've always wanted was like a grim dark take on the mythic uh, legend of blah 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 yeah and okay. And so, like, I I do think that there's some of that resonating, but I think still, like, if you watch uh, Snyder's trilogy, is it a trilogy? I don't know. If you watch Snyder's superhero movies and compare Uh, them to Nolan's trilogy, even though Nolan's trilogy is definitely not perfect by any means, it's it's really confounding me to think that anybody would think that Snyder is on the level of any of the other stuff that kind of legitimized that superhero genre. Well, it's completely different. Like Nolan is, he's just Nolan's striving. They're both very ambitious filmmakers, but I think Nolan is striving for like, I don't know, like a philosophical take on these characters. Do you think Snyder is doing that? No. No, like his take is like a mile wide, but an inch deep. I mean, he, he, you know, the earlier stuff that you were talking like Dawn of the dead, is a really fun movie. It is. It's a fun yeah. film. You can sit down and watch it and be like, this is a good time. I think it has nothing to do with the original. Like, at all. Like, it's almost completely juxtaposed that film. Sure, sure. A, a completely different, like, angle that it's trying to take. Uh, and then once, uh, I'm not going to get into people on, like, Reddit who would be like, oh, the, the remix better than the original. I can't even, Ooh, can't even okay. go there. No. 300, uh, whatever. Uh, Watchmen again. One of my favorite pieces of literature ever written is the Wa- Watchmen graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, <sighs> he Snyder has there is a optimism type thing going on with him, where he makes these very lush, very rich cinematic um, scenes, and his use of music, which we're going to see in Army of the Dead a bit, uh, it is fascinating, and interesting. It, more than anything it's intriguing and it's engaging on some level but that's it there's not much else going on there and i think that's what attracts people so much it's he's a commercial director that's how right. he got his start was yep. doing commercials 
uh, along with like Michael Bay and I think David Fincher, like on that whole world. And, um, you know, this is a big comeback for him because I would say from a critical perspective, Batman versus uh, Man of Steel, complete failure. Uh, Batman versus Superman, epic failure. Huge, huge failure uh, on a financial level as well. And then Justice League, I think, speaks for itself, like a total mess. Yep. And then we'd have this rehabilitation that goes on because I think there's just a lot of people that wanted him to do well. There's a lot of people that like him. Uh, he seems to be very close with his fans and very active in terms of social media and stuff like that. Very like has that direct connection with his uh, sort of zealots is his his little circle. Right. Um, and so th- there's a lot. I think there's a lot riding on Army of the Dead being this comeback. And that's kind of the story that's been played out here. Um, let's talk a little bit about how this, what this movie's about. Like, what is it about? I mean, the plot's just absurd. You want to read it? <laughs> what's the plot line? It doesn't even matter. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but tell me about it. No, but it, I mean, everybody's been just saying that it's uh, what if Ocean Eleven, Ocean's Eleven had zombies, which is pretty much the long and short of it. Um, it's uh, a zombie outbreak, specifically in Las Vegas, uh, and a group of mercenaries uh, take the ultimate gamble, according to the official logline, by venturing into the quarantine zone for the greatest heist ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's cookie cutter, but I, I, I mean, it was actually a pull for me. Like, I, I have to admit, I am a sucker for heist movies, and I'm a sucker for zombie movies. So yeah. even if Snyder is going to be behind the camera, uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm super in. So there was also like a legitimate part of me where I was like, okay, he did kind of hit. Uh, sorry for using a gross term. My pleasure centers, and <laughs> <laughs> and and so like and because because he's a poptimist because he. I mean, I, there's another pop-related word that I saw in, I think, uh, Brian Tallarico's review of the film, um, splatter pop, I think is a good kind yeah, of description good. of what's going on here. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, he's leaning into a lot of his uh, more zany aesthetic from years past, because it's yeah. arguably, I would not call it a comedy by any means, because... Anything that is attempt that is an attempt at a joke in the script falls flat, but it's uh, got a sense of fun to it that I think the original Dawn of the Dead had. But then it also yes. has this really garish quality to it that movies like Three Hundred and Sucker Punch had. Uh, but I really I don't know. I had trouble. Like uh, I will say, it's probably the movie of his that I've enjoyed the most since. Dawn of the Dead, but that's a pretty low bar, right? Yeah, that's a, yeah. Depending on who you are, right? It's for me it's a super <laughs> low bar because, like, I literally, like, I hate Batman vs Superman so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember I rented that on VOD on a Saturday and just fell asleep for like two and a half hours. I got the <laughs> Ultimate Edition, and oh uh, this is it's just unwatchable. But yeah, I mean, this is it's it, it's the plot is so dumb to this movie that it works. Um, you know, a heist film in Las Vegas. Basically, Las Vegas gets overrun by um, a zo- like a Zeus is the zombie, um, and you know it's a military thing. Area Fifty One, all this like really vague stuff that it goes zero depth, none, um, and it doesn't really matter all that much because it's just it's they, you want to get to the shooting, you want to get to the zombies like quick, um, which is hard to do in a movie that's like two two hours and forty minutes long, I think, or something like that. Yeah. It's it's very long. Um 
but I think you know it starts out with uh, with a bang, and it and it really does. It comes across as a pretty like it, some of the reviews like it's oh it's like this really like tight move. It's not tight per se. It's just blunt, mm-hmm. uh, and there's not a lot of nuance to what's going on on screen. I think from a story perspective, visually, one hundred percent. Like he even talks about like the opening sequence where this zoo zombie gets out of this military convoy. Like they spent like five weeks shooting that because he wanted to get like a very specific like with the natural lighting. That's another thing to note here. He does his own. He's his own director of photography for this, mm-hmm. which I think is the is that the first time he's done this. I thought I read that. This I is believe the, so. Yeah. Yeah. The first time he's been his own director of uh, photography. Um, and you know, I think the one thing that that I'm, I'm fascinated by in terms of you know how this thing got started. I think it was originally announced back in like 2007. And then I also read somewhere else that it was also kind of going hand in hand with Dawn of the Dead, that he had this idea for this movie after he did Dawn of the Dead or while he was doing Dawn of the Dead, and they announced it, and then it kind of went through that development hell phase. Um, why do you think um, initially this was attached to Warner Brothers, but then Netflix picked it up for a $90 million production budget? Why do you think they picked it up? You know, I think... Uh, I was actually thinking that a lot during the <laughs> opening scene of the film in particular, because, uh, I mean, I hope it's not a spoiler to say that essentially Snyder's thesis statement, uh, whether it's accidental or deliberate, uh, Roadhead starts the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and so, like, when that is clearly the catalyst for the inciting incident, uh, my brain immediately goes like, Really, Netflix? Like, did did they even read the script, or did they just see Zack Snyder and zombies and think that it was fish in a barrel? Um, one of the interesting details about the production of this film is that there's a uh, discrepancy between what Netflix has stated, and usually they don't state their production budgets. Correct. Um, yeah. But there is a clear discrepancy uh, in the media between what uh, Netflix states was their was the budget they gave to Snyder 90 million, which yeah. is a really good amount, but definitely not like what you would expect if this was like a no. traditional Hollywood yeah. studio movie. Yeah. Um, and then Snyder's have uh, just refuted it. They've said that's not true, but they haven't offered their own number. Uh, and so I, I wonder, like, I mean, do you, what do you, you're, you're the box office analyst of the yeah. duo here, Dan. Sure, Why sure, would. Sure, sure. Why would there be a discrepancy, and why would uh, the Snyders, both Zach and his uh, co-producer slash wife Deborah, um, not provide what they think to be a more realistic number? Well, I don't even think they know what it is. To be honest, oh. with you. I don't think Zach Snyder's <laughs> yeah, the type yeah, of person yeah. who's going through spreadsheets. He doesn't really seem like that type of guy. Um, <laughs> would you think that? Would you, was it suggested that like, oh, it was less than ninety million? I the, the, and that's what Snyder's. I'm wondering. I feel I, like yeah. just ba- based on his vibe that he would he would he would think that 90 sounds small. He was like, "No, it's got to be at least 3 digits." I don't know. Oh, cuz I thought that maybe he would be like, "Oh no, actually it was only like 50. We did a lot with that little bit of mo- little bit of, mo- of money." Yeah, I maybe on that way. I mean, mm-hmm. to me if I'm Netflix, it's a no-brainer. Like 90 million for a movie like this, but you got to tack in a lot of marketing. Like this is, and it's not a traditional theatrical release, so you're not going to have like you know a hundred and twenty million dollar marketing campaign, which is easily for the old school like box office stuff, right? Um, 
But for this, it's sort of he has a built in audience. He has a sort of zealotry fan base. Um, and, you know, what he's going to make, it's the perfect Netflix film because Netflix does not care about story. They do not care about high art for the most part, unless they're trying to win an Oscar, yeah. which they're not doing here. If it's not an Oscar thing to get them clout within the industry or to get bigger directors to come work with them, it's all about eyeballs and attention span. And this Zach Snyder is a perfect Netflix guy because he's all about attention and eyeballs. He's not about anything else. And so you can sit here and watch this movie. And if you're even remotely engaged, there's going to be something there that's going to like at least keep you keep you in front of the TV set. And that's like the goal of Netflix more than anything. Mm-hmm. They just want to keep your attention and want you to consume more and more minutes of their content. Anything else is kind of bullshit to them. Uh, and even they state that in their like corporate values, like they're not hiding <laughs> that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, the famous line that Reed Hastings always have is like, we're not competing with HBO or um, cable TV. We're, we're competing with sleep. You know, it's like one of those viewpoints that like, I mean, and that's why I think they picked it up. It's ultimately an attention grabbing film that will lead to a lot of minutes consumed, whether you're a Zack Snyder fan or not. Like, it's just going to be one of those movies that you have to see. It's number one right now. I think has been since it came out on Friday on Netflix. So I think it's winning. Like it's going to win and do exactly what they want to do. But it does, you know, and this guy, and one of the reasons I wanted to pick this movie too, because it goes to this whole thing about Netflix and streaming movies and the new streaming world about like producing bigger movies. And, you know, here's a question for you. If this came out in the theater, do you think it would be successful? Well, we, I mean, Based on it, that budget. Yeah, based on that budget, I, oh man, my gut says no. Um, yeah, let me I'm, lay out why. Yeah, give me the, a, give me a, <laughs> the, the I mean, the first uh, kind of measurable piece, of, measurable piece of data that we can point to is uh, that it was the Cinemark exclusive for one week only, right? Yeah. Uh, and it seems like, you know, you can, you can go back and forth on whether or not people are willing to wait a week. Um uh-huh. In this day and age, but ultimately, it it, it basically made no money in the theater in that uh, seven day period, like six hundred thousand something like that. I don't, yeah. I for, for can't find the number in our notes here, but it it's it's uh, obscenely low, it's even in comparison to the really kind of uh, depleted box office we've been dealing with re- in uh, in the pandemic and including now like post vaccination life uh it's pick it's picking up slightly but it does seem like there's been some heavy damage to the industry at large um if it was theater only and we weren't still in slash recovering from a pandemic i still think it would be difficult i mean you take a look at uh the slate of zombie movies in recent years uh there hasn't really been a hit since the original Zombieland uh, in 2009. Yeah. So like I, 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 that was another honest surprise when I heard that this was going to be Snyder's next vehicle, because it seemed like I thought we were over that. I feel like the only thing, pe- only people that were doing zombie movies were if they were doing some kind of unique comedic twist on it, like Jim Jarmusch's yeah. The Dead Don't Die from a couple of years ago, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Um, but uh, this seems like a, while it's a, a mashup with the heist genre, which I'm all about. <laughs> it's otherwise pretty paint by numbers. Um, 
like you said earlier, visually, there's a lot to appreciate about this guy and his vision. But when it comes to the story, like I don't, I think this is pretty perfect for Netflix because it's it's disposable popcorn movie, right? You can yeah. watch it, be entertained. In I'm doing air quotes right now for two and a half hours, and uh, then just like immediately forget about it. But like for a movie to be successful at the box office, it not only needs that value, but it has to have like the replay value, the word of mouth value, and I just don't see that here. Do you? No, 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 no. I think you know I'm looking at the numbers now, and I did 780k opening mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, but the real key there is 1860 per theater, which is a terrible opening, like awful. Yeah. Like for a good opening for a movie like this would be 5K per theater and on up to 10K, 12K. That's where you really kind of pop off. This failed. It's a failed experiment. It didn't work. Um, if it had a full release, it would have made like 10 million, maybe if it was lucky. Um, yeah, there's something special about a box office hit that this doesn't have. It's too. And the thing is, it's not even too niche. It just doesn't have the sheen. It doesn't have the sort of maybe populist aspect to it that makes it interesting for a large group of people. That being said, people are going to sit home and watch this thing. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they wouldn't spend sitting home and watching a movie on Netflix is a different story than spending $15 and getting in the car and going and seeing it. It's a very different world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's going to be a win in the streaming sense, but I think it would have been a failure at the box office for the most part. Um, unless people saw it and there was good word of mouth and then it had like long legs or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it, it, it works in exactly the way it was released. Um, I mean, what do you think about, you know, we, we know Zack Snyder pretty well, his style pretty well. How do you think it fits in terms of this production and what he did with it, with the rest of his work? I mean, is it better than Batman versus Superman? Is it better than Man of Steel in terms of the look, the writing? I mean, what do you think? Where does this sit in his in his um, world? Uh, I'd say it's probably up there with Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but really, it, it it does seem like it's once again the lowest bar. But it didn't put me to sleep, and I was nervous yeah. about that because I started it at ten o'clock at night, and I'm an old man. Yeah. Uh, what night was it though? It was last night, Sunday night. Wow! I know. Watch this whole thing till like half past midnight. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud slash disappointed in myself. Oh, man, um, <laughs> I stayed up late. I stayed up late, uh, late watching Mayor of Easttown last night. I'm feeling it right now. Oh my gosh, what a binge! What a reveal! Uh, <laughs> what a reveal! Go watch that show instead of this. Uh, yeah, um, but I I do think that like the the connective thread between all his movies. Um, is that there's either no story or too much story. But there's story here, right? But Okay, so maybe can we replace the word story with characters? Okay, sure. Um, Because, yeah, there's plot, but I would say even the plot, like, there's nothing. They make a big deal about this safe, and it leads to, like, one cool splatter scene. But other than that, like, the actual heist is boring as hell so boring it's just so straightforward um and and it's not because it's like economical and it's not because like i don't know but like the characters were probably my biggest concern like i like dave batista just fine um i think he's 
fun in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think his glasses are cool in Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> like, uh, he does, I, I don't think he's a leading man. And the fact that they gave him, you know, nothing to really talk about. Yeah. It, there's a there's a one scene in particular where he like and i don't think this was a wink wink nudge nudge moment uh-huh. but like he literally turns left to have like a serious boring heart to heart with his daughter and then turns right to have a boring serious heart heart to heart with his i don't know friend slash potential love interest oh his and, like his like war partner or something yeah like yeah um and that's the other that's the other aspect is like other than Dave Batista, like nobody has a proper backstory because they attempt to uh, kind of cram it all in into that stylish opening credits yeah. uh, sequence, which I liked on the surface. But the more I thought about, I was like, that was frustrating because that was like, <laughs> I want they they cared more about having like the cool pop aesthetic of the song over the slow motion than yeah. actually really telling us anything interesting about the the what led up to them wanting to do this heist um well it's interesting too because like when they greenlit this movie i think they also greenlit a prequel called army of thieves and then also uh an anime adaptation and i kind of read a little bit about that's all going to be background and like character development so in this two hour plus movie they couldn't get to like basic uh character (laughs) development i mean it's like it's like but the question that i have is this thing is so long. It's so bloated. Um, you know, here's essentially what happens. They get to, they get to Las Vegas. They go in. They do, try to do the heist. Some people live. Some people die. There's lots of zombies. What do we make of this weird zombie hierarchy that's going on? Because these <laughs> zombies are not Romero zombies. They're not even Dawn of the Dead zombies. They're not 20 mm-hmm. Days Later zombies. They're not Return of the Living Dead zombies. They're like organized in like yeah. Planet of the Apes-esque. <laughs> right? Okay. I, once again, like so many aspects of this movie, I feel like that's a thing that on the surface, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then they didn't do anything interesting with it. No, right? there's like a queen and a king and she's pregnant. And yeah. Also, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but I did like that, like, um, you know, we've seen the zombie movie tropes a thousand times and it's been pretty straightforward either they are one kind of zombie or they're the other and this time snyder in his classic like he wants to have his cake and eat it too fashion he's like why not both plus high blood like not even just like two separate groups but like hierarchy king and queen but then they don't do anything really novel with that either so it winds up just turning into like a a bad subplot of season seven of the walking dead or something i don't know uh, yeah it's like that's the part of this movie that does not work i don't think at all i mean I, some of it does work i think um and there, look there's a lot of positive aspects to it we can start talking about maybe like what other people are thinking about it um but you know i will say the backstory stuff that we talked about is a disaster it makes no sense mm-hmm. there is that heart-to-heart scene where he talks about opening like a, a tofu stand there's multiple oh, scenes where he talks about opening that's the truck. worst that's that's so clearly from like a punch-up that they hired one of these four yeah they're like oh, we need to like instead of splatter we need to do like emotional splatter you know what i mean zach <laughs> uh, and uh and uh yeah there's that one scene where you're like okay like i'm sort of interested you can't do the middle ground though no right like what you could have done here is cut this thing down by like 30 minutes take out 
all of the character development and just make it like a pure action piece. And I think it's going to do a lot better and make a little bit more sense. Um, but I, I, I just don't find that the zombies are not compelling. Like no. even the tiger zombie, Ugh. Uh, you're like, eh, this is stupid. Um, like it's not, I don't know who would be into that. It's, it's kind of fascinating. Like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And then it gets really old and it gets really odd. It, yeah. There's the extended scene where it kills some kind of baddie dude. Uh, and it just the like Paul Reiser from Aliens character. Yeah, exactly. The, the guy who works for the corporation. Uh, and it's an extended kill scene and it just goes on yeah. and on. And I feel like that's one of the things like the, the, the trademark of this film is he doesn't know when to stop. And he doesn't yeah. know when to say no to himself. And I think it, it that filters all the way into this entire streaming world and Netflix, you know, floating tens of millions of dollars for these films. There's a freedom that's happening now that we probably have not happened since what new Hollywood in the seventies mm-hmm. where it wasn't, it's not necessarily blank checks, but it's getting close to that feeling. And that's a double-edged thing. On the one hand, you get beautiful films um, that are just wonderful by, you know, great artists. And then the other hand, you get sort of Zack Snyder's version. Like I was, I think I was talking, um, uh, to my friend Pippa watching this movie and I was like this is like what somebody would have written if they're in eighth, eighth grade oh yeah this is like an eighth grade script that he got made because he's famous and has a huge following and he can make a splashy movie but there's nothing here that's artistically has any merit no uh, or not a lot of merit in terms of just story and development and stuff like that but I feel like I'm almost in the minority when I'm going through these critical responses <laughs> like, I'm blown yeah. away by these what does the Rotten Tomatoes say Oh my gosh. So the Rotten Tomatoes, for whatever reason, is at a 75% for all critics, real score of 63, which is a pretty distinct difference. That's pretty, to, yeah. That's yeah. Pretty um, and top critics at 77, real score 62, uh, Metacritic at a 57, uh, which makes way more sense. Yeah. Letterboxd at a 56, which makes, makes more sense, though I was expecting it maybe to even be a few points lower than that. Um, but then the Rotten Tomato audience score of 80, Metacritic audience score of 76, uh, which is above IMDb somehow with 75. So like, it's a classic example of uh, you've got the the fans that are going to love it, love it because it, you know, tickles their funny bone uh, with the blood and the gore and the guns and the explosions. And it's bolstered by just enough poptimist critics to make it kind of an arguable success at least uh conceptually i mean like you said i think netflix is going to get their their minutes their eyeballs that they wanted um but i i i i am concerned about this nonsense with the prequel and the animated lost vegas show uh because it's it's pretty emblematic um i mean it definitely reminds me of uh Richard Kelly's Southland Tales and his attempts to um, uh, kind of connect that universe with a comic book series, which I have, by the way, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you, you and Richard Kelly himself, (laughs) Um, where it's just like one of the basic tenets of storytelling, especially for a two-hour-plus film, is like you, we shouldn't have to go and find other pieces to to put the puzzle together. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, well, it's interesting. Yeah, I think you're that's a really good point. Um being you know what I'm concerned about? 
I'm concerned Ooh. about these critics. <laughs> like this is freaking me out. Like I'm yeah, reading yeah. through this stuff and it, this is not computing to me at all. Has some criticism a, died? Yeah. I have, like, I I have a theory, but go ahead and read a couple of these positives. I'm gonna, the A.A. Dowd one is the one that like really freaks me out because I love him <laughs> as you know, great writer. Um, in a way, this B movie on an A budget gets closer to the values of George Romero, the godfather of zombie cinema, uh, than Snyder's actual hyper uh, adrenalized remake of Romero's masterpiece. Turning Vegas into a fallen kingdom, its towers of glamour and vice emptied out, at least superficially recalls the satiric function of the multi-tiered shopping mall of Dawn of the Dead, even if Snyder doesn't pull hard enough on that threat. That, to me, is a ridiculous statement. Like, honestly, like as someone who like I'm not a film studies major at all or anything like that, but like I at least am an art criticism person. Like, what is what's going on with that? That makes no sense. So so here's the thing. Uh I've got and my theory is two pronged. Number one, just like baseline, mm. uh critics are excited to be going to press screenings again. Sure. Okay. <laughs> like, That's one so thing. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about that too. Yeah. The ma- magic of the movie house at work here. Um, because these are the type of people that are just completely uh done over by that. Um so I think that's part of it. But then also, and this was one of kind of the things that I sat with as the credits rolled, um, is that like I immediately had these like rut this nostalgic feeling of um uh, being in the theater uh, when I went to see a midnight screening of the original, the Romero Dawn of the Dead, yeah. where like I was just like flooded with because it was sometime in college, so I was like sure. flooded with all these like newfound theories that I had learned in film studies classes and how the allegory worked and all that, and and I felt just so empty in this one. But then I got even angrier because yeah. like I thought about you know the the symbolism of the a destroyed city of money and the uh temperature check gun uh that the security guard yeah. um points at people of color mm-hmm. and the uh word quarantine being thrown around and the word coyote being used being thrown around yeah. but with no actual political undertones I mean, it's, it's just kind of all disgusting. coincidental it's kind <laughs> yeah. of it's like Snyder's using this vocabulary which he clearly doesn't understand uh like these like political buzzwords to kind of like pick and prod at people and get a reaction out of them but he has nothing to say about any of those things no he doesn't want to say anything either no he's just he's just uh basking in the excess and uh i think if if there's a middling review from a critic that I respect a lot, um, that I can at least understand where they're coming from on a quasi-positive level, it's uh, Justin Chang's LA Times review that you uh, posted in our notes here. He wrote, It's very much a Zack Snyder production, unwieldy but absorbing, awash in bone-crunching violence, stilted dialogue, ridiculous, verging on sublime needle drops, hello cranberries, and have it both ways <laughs> political subtext. So, like, if you can wring enough of that out to feel like you had, like, a worthwhile popcorn experience, then maybe maybe he's done what he's aimed to do. Since, like we said, he doesn't have anything to say. He doesn't want to say anything. Do we need to get down on his level at all, Dan? I, I, I'm not going to. Like, I think that's what it comes <laughs> I refuse. To. I refuse to. And, like... Like my middling review that I like was Mark Kermode, who I, you know, who I love. He's your guy. Uh, he's my guy. 
not great, not terrible, but it really could just have been 90 minutes and done the same thing. That's an old curmudgeon way of saying, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like, it's kind of a throwaway. Yeah. I don't think that it's throwaway. I think it's worse than throwaway. Hmm. Because, you know, when I these allusions to, like, Romero, which is obviously someone who I worship, uh, and his work, this is not that it's not the same medium at all. Like this is commercial pop film that its only purpose is to get your attention and to keep it. It's supposed to go in one eye and out the other. Is that a state? Is that a statement? Sure. Now it is in the, uh, eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh and like, you're, you're not, you're not really, you're consuming, but it's not nourishing anything. It's just sort of like, Oh yeah. It's like, I'm bored, so I want to watch Army of the Dead. Oh, that was kind of fun. You're probably on your computer while you're watching it. Or you're, you know, um, you're just like, you're not going to be, you're not going to get something amazing out of that experience. Nobody watches this film and is like, that movie changed my life. No. And that should not be the barometer of greatness of all film or anything like that. But you can objectively say that nobody's saying that. So, I mean, on the one hand, as much as I want to give Zack Snyder a break and say, hey, he's back. Hey, this isn't as bad as Batman versus Superman. In a lot of ways, it's worse because like this is this is him like completely unfiltered. This is him with all his toys, all his special lenses that he bought on eBay from Japan, uh, you know, going all in. And this is his final product. It's trash. Like, it's just it's straight up trash. It's not good um and like is it that different than sucker punch at the end of the day not really um and so Mm. i don't i mean that's my viewpoint of it it's like the thing is if the critics had just said nah it's whatever if they're all like mark commode i wouldn't feel that negative about it but when you start having you know scores in the 80s of audience and it's like i just i get back into the moment when i was in spider-man 2 and everybody around me was laughing and carrying on in the theater. And I was like, this is <laughs> terrible. What is wrong with you people? I just get, go back to that weird sort of like, this is not great mm-hmm. cinema. This is not, this is not pure cinema as Scorsese would say. So I think, I think the distinction between army of the dead and sucker punch, uh, can be parsed out by, um, one of the letterbox user reviews. I think it's probably, I think it's one of the highest, if not the highest, uh, liked comment on letterbox about this film. Patrick Willems wrote, I'm glad Zack Snyder got back to what he's good at making dumb movies that know they're dumb instead of dumb movies that think they're really smart. And so I think in the course of our conversation, Dan, and maybe it's just my tendency to want to be polarizing with you. Um, I think that, that's what it comes down to is that sucker punch was around the time of his career, you know, post watchman he's in the depths of wanting to, but still like having his dumb tendencies, but wanting to wring something deep out of them. And it yeah. failed miserably to the point where he thought he was making something feminist, but it was Ugh. horribly misogynist Ugh. instead. Yeah. Um, and now it, I, maybe what he set out to do to have this, rebirth and go back to the beginning he was at least marginally successful at uh i think that there's no pretense here and while that's not necessarily intellectually stimulating it's at least uh honest intellectually honest meaning there is no intellect involved what would you say to this though like (laughs) i'm gonna pull the white man card on this oh boy right like 
does Zack Snyder have any of this without the sort of privileges of his background? No. I'm, I mean, the answer is no. <laughs> we all know the answer. He like, directs a commercial for Nike the second he steps off of the stage from with his diploma in Pasadena. But even outside of that, like if you go back to like his like what he's done since then and like his big movies. Right. I, I just don't, you know, that, that's why I don't want to give him a pass because it's like, look, man, you, you were born on third base. Mm-hmm. And you've been given so many different chances, and like, yeah, okay, Army of the Dead's kind of fun. It's a dumb movie. You kind of know it's dumb, but do you really think that he? Do you really think that he thinks it's dumb? Like, I think he thinks it's some sort of like high art. Like he's doing something amazing and special, and like really? it's kind of. Hmm. I think he thinks his wink, wink is the high art. You know what I mean? Like he thinks he's being postmodern. Postmodernism died like thirty years ago. <laughs> uh it's like what are you doing man like this isn't 1991 like what's i don't know i mean that's just my read on it i mean do you really think it's gonna lead to a rebirth of Zack snyder no no definitely not um so that's not the right word uh but i think it's i think it's it's more akin to maybe him becoming comfortable in his own skin and part of that of course is like you said earlier he's being unleashed with you know all of his toys um and so, but I think that's maybe this is as maybe as good as it gets for Zack Snyder. Oh, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is this is the best Zack Snyder film that'll ever be made. <laughs> okay, uh, we can agree there at least. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. Um, what do you? Uh, any closing thoughts on this? Any sort of? Um, I mean, you, you, you. I think we would be remiss not to mention um, one of the. Since especially especially since I brought up the the misogyny of Sucker Punch, um, yeah. one small area of growth uh, for Snyder is sure. that he uh, when he understood uh, the necessity of deleting Chris Delia from his uh, shots, the canceled uh, comedian who was caught uh, sexually harassing uh, underage girls on the internet. Um, and then Snyder said, okay, let's take him out and replace him with somebody else. And he hires Tignataro. And yeah. she's one of the bright spots of the she's film. She's the highlight of the film by far. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, uh, even though, once again, she's given basically no characterization, at the very least, it's somebody with screen presence. And I can't say that for much of any of the rest of the cast. Uh, and it, it it's it's quite it's quite a step up. Not something I would have expected from Snyder, of all yeah. people. Um, to and do. it cost millions too. I mean, Netflix went on. They said they did an interview with Vanity Fair where they said it was in the millions of dollars yeah. to replace him because it was a totally shot with him. They'd go back and green screen everything, CGI her into every single scene, and so yeah. I mean, that was a kind of a a, a statement I think that they were making overall, um, which is yeah, a good statement to make. I think at the end of the day, um, film's still terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do we got going on next week? Season or not season? Season four, episode two of Film oh, Trains. We're going to I'm the ex- past. <laughs> I'm excited for this one because I'm not sure we've done a legit romantic comedy oh, I don't on think the so. show. No. Uh, and it's and we're long overdue for it. So it is uh, the 25th anniversary of the largely forgotten, but uh, has for whatever reason a small piece of my heart. George Clooney, Michelle Pfeiffer rom com, One Fine Day from 1996. Uh, I do not think it's a good film, but I definitely think it's worth looking into uh, 
25 years later in particular. And I am especially curious on your thoughts, Dan, because I know that when it comes to rom-coms, you'll watch anything. It's a dead art, though, when you think about it. Rom-coms, they're dead. Uh, <laughs> but, you, anyway. but you still watch them, like, every day or, 27 like... 27 Dresses I watch, like, once a month, at least. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks for listening, folks. This has been Film Try. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>